the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. friends. Thank you for joining us. This is the Soapster here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour in the next 90 minutes, giving you a chance to sound off about the scriptures in every way. That's our focus is the Bible, <laughs> all about the Bible, the Bible Live. Uh, and tonight we uh, or this past week, our reading schedule has taken us through the final chapters of the book of Second Samuel where we finish up there talking about Saul and David, uh, the first king of Israel, uh, king Saul, and then the transition then from Saul to David. Uh, David had been ordained, in a sense. He had been anointed as a, to be king of Israel when he was 12 or 14 years of age, very young. Had to wait somewhere around 25 years for that anointing, for that promise to come to fruition. Uh, I, I, he waited for about um, 16, 17 years before he was uh, crowned king of the uh, of Judah and Benjamin in the south. And then he waited another nine years after that to be crowned king of all of the united tribes of Israel. And uh, it's an, a, a remarkable story to live through, to walk through, as we read the books of First and Second Samuel. 
incredible number of lessons for us about God, about God, God's ways of dealing with people, about God's priorities and, and how we can fit in and how we can uh, have a uh, be like David, for example, a man after God's own heart. We saw David. Uh, I mean, we saw King Saul did not understand God, did not know God, did not have the values, didn't understand the unique calling on his life as as a part of the people of Israel. He didn't understand the unique calling on them as a people group to to um, give witness to the true and living God and to be that conduit, to be that that um, spring out of which would come. Uh, God would bring uh, carry out the redemptive plan by bringing the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer through them as a people group. And so uh, he disobeyed God often in terms of uh, uh, protecting the people of Israel. Uh, And, of course, we see all through the Old Testament, all through the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament, from the very first book of Genesis, chapter 3, God's plan, he reveals, is that he's calling out of the human race a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. And uh, out of every generation, every nation, every people group, every language group, God is continually calling out, revealing himself to people through nature, through creation, through consciousness, human consciousness, that God-shaped vacuum that we all sense in our lives, uh, that awareness of ourselves and, and that longing for for uh, for God, for spiritual reality, for eternal life, for to know what, what comes next, that it's inherent. It's innate in human nature. The we we uh, men has always been a worshiping creature, longing for for something more. And as C.S. Lewis has said, uh, <laughs> beautiful statement that he made about how that when we uh, thirst, the existence of thirst is very powerful, strong evidence for the existence of water. <laughs> and we have a thirst. We have a spiritual thirst and longing that every man, uh, there's that God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, as Pascal, uh, the French um, physicist and philosopher, said, a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by the Creator Himself made known through the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, Jesus uh, himself, Jesus Christ. And so we see the Old Testament, is, throughout the Old Testament, we see God carrying out that redemptive plan, moving it forward, uh, bringing about in chapter 12 of Genesis, we're introduced to Abraham, and we begin this people group that God uses, calls out through through Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph, and then the people of Israel down in Egypt, and then they come out of Egypt, and they go back into Canaan, into the promised land, under the leadership of Joshua. Uh, we've, we've been through all of this. We've read through all of these books, uh, and, and then uh, the time of Joshua, then the time of the judges, about 325 years, and then we come to the first king of Israel, Saul, and uh, his reign of about 40 years, and then the second king of Israel, King David, reigns for about 40 years, and then his son, Solomon, uh, reigns for about 40 years, and then the kingdom divides into the 10 northern tribes and the southern tribes. You can just kind of think through the the um, the plan and think through the, the storyline of the Old Testament, and we see all through that, over and over again, there's this constant attempt on the part of, uh, well, we think, uh, the enemy himself, this enemy of our souls, Satan, re- resisting God and God's people and God's ways, and and uh, trying to cut off that that redemptive um, that redemptive plan, c- trying to cut off the people of Israel, trying to kill them off, and several times the the 
the messianic lineage is almost destroyed. Uh, the, the promises are there. The pr- predictions are there that they're going to come through a certain lineage, a certain people group, and in a certain time. And we see over and over again how God tries to cut off that lineage. He tries to interrupt that redemptive plan. And then we come to the what is called the New Testament. We come to the time of Jesus of Nazareth, this one who comes forth out of the people of Israel from the lineage of David and claims to be, understands himself to be, and by faith steps into the role of the Messiah, the Redeemer, uh, the Savior. And he understands it deeply, and he understands it profoundly, uh, more profoundly than anyone of his time and era understood it. He understood what it meant for him. He had a growing understanding. Uh, he grew to into the role. He grew into the task as he trusted the God, the Father, and the Spirit working in him. He walked out the perfect life of faith, trust, obedience to the Father. The incarnate Son of God took on faith. He emptied himself, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. The eternal Son of God, yes, he was always God. He never ceased being God, but he he voluntarily gave up. He voluntarily voluntarily gave up uh, his divine prerogatives, initiative, his his, uh, authority as God, and he walked and humbled himself to be a man living under the yoke of faith and obedience and total dependence upon the Father himself. Now, we started reading the Gospel of John this past week, chapters 1 through 9, and uh, about five times in the opening chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I can do nothing of myself. I do nothing of myself. Not my teaching, not my miracles, uh, healings. uh, I don't do that of my own power, my own initiative, my own prerogative and authority as God. Because that was his challenge. Uh, He had to come and live as a perfect man in total obedience, total submission and dependence upon the Father. And if he had acted uh, as the Son of God, if he had acted of, of his own initiative... If he had turned, we're going to talk tonight a little bit about how Satan came and tempted him and tried to get him to act of his own initiative and prerogative. If you're the son of God, he said, turn that rock, turn that stone into bread because uh, he was hungry and, and after the 40 days of fasting. And he tried to get Jesus to act of his own initiative and prerogative and power and authority as God. Could Jesus have turned the stone to bread? Of course he could have. He created the stone. He had every authority, every right to do that, and he had no. Uh, there would nothing have happened to him if he had done it. But he would have been eliminated from being our redeemer. He had to walk out a perfect life of total faith, trust, dependence, reliance upon God the Father, and the working of the Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in his life, and uh, he did. He did it, folks. He, he he when he said it is finished on the cross, it truly was. He did successfully walk out the role of a human being living in total dependence and trust in the Father uh, by faith. And then he who knew no sin became sin for us. Uh, he took upon him the, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him, John the baptizer, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What? What an amazing, amazing story. The redemptive plan of God is 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 the highest drama. I, I think it's the source of all true drama, all true um, beauty, and all true uh, literature and storytelling. It's it's the greatest, but it's not just a story. It is it is true that the Creator 
the Creator Himself loved us so much that He came, uh, it, it, He sacrificed Himself to take upon Himself our sin, our weakness, to take up our punishment, and uh, then uh, He was raised. So Jesus had a dual role. He was the eternal Son of God from create from eternity past to eternity future, never ceased being God. But he is also the firstborn of the twiceborn. He took on flesh. He became a man. The word became flesh, as we read in the opening books, uh, opening chapters of the Gospel of John. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, uh, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So there we have it. That's where we are now. First nine chapters of the Gospel of John, and of course it comes just in time as we prepare, uh, and, and, and uh, men and women all around planet Earth, just as David prayed in the in the Book of Psalms, he prayed, "Oh Lord, you'll be glorified, be be worshipped, be glorified in all the nations of the world. Praise the Lord, all you people, all you nations," and that's the reality today. Oh, wouldn't wouldn't David just love to see what's happening today as men and women from around the world, every tribe, every language group, uh, worshiping the true and living God, having come to the knowledge of that God into a relationship with God, reconciled to God through that redemptive plan that God carried out, uh, that he began long ago in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then all through the Hebrew Scriptures, prefiguring uh, all through the Hebrew Scriptures, predicting, describing, telling us, and describing uh, what his redemptive plan through, uh, not only through direct uh, uh, stories and direct messagings, but all through the symbolism of the tabernacle, of the temple, of the the sacrificial system, uh, so many ways that God revealed all through the Hebrew Scriptures. We see the redemptive plan of God through the Messiah. I attended a Torah study um, oh, I guess a month or two ago uh, with uh, my good friend and co-host here, Jacob, who's with us. Normally he's out of town this week. He's been observing Passover and traveling uh, out of town this weekend. Hopefully he'll be joining us again really soon. But I, intended, I attended a Torah study with him uh, not long ago and where there was a discussion about the concept and the, the person of the Messiah uh, as I met with a group of Jewish uh, believers and followers. And um uh, uh, I have to confess, I, I, I was I was so interested, I was so intrigued by their treatment of the topic, uh, and yet I kept thinking over and over again. Now, I'm, who am I? I'm just a little old Apache Indian who came to uh, understand and read these scriptures, and came to understand what God had done, and uh, and recognize. I, I to me, it is so clear, so obvious that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed exactly who he claimed to be. He was that long-awaited, predicted Redeemer, Savior, Messiah uh, that God had sent into the world. Uh, he himself uh, said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And today, of course, these days we are seeing that around planet Earth, People groups, individuals, all languages, every race, every tribe, every color of the family of God is so great. And uh, there are men and women who worship the Lord and celebrate his resurrection, his victory over death, hell, and the grave uh, as we come upon the time of celebration of 
Resurrection Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, of course, this very day, we're talking about uh, his triumphant entry, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, a Palm Sunday, when Jesus the Messiah walks uh, in on a donkey uh, as the prediction comes to us from uh, um, from the Hebrew Scriptures that he would come riding a colt and the uh, a donkey and the colt, the foal of a donkey that he comes and the people recognized it and they uh, we call it Palm Sunday they laid palms before his in his path and said Hosanna here comes the one the Messiah and the name, the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. So what a what a tremendous time that we have tonight. You can give me a call anytime you'd like three four zero ninety five eighty five three four zero ninety five eighty five and I I'd love to talk with any of you, uh, believer non believer, uh, uh, Christian, uh, Hebrew, uh, Jewish background. Those of us who love and respect the, this book, the Bible, the Scriptures. I'd love to hear from any of you have a thought or a question or some uh, something that you'd like to share uh, on the theme of the Bible itself, uh, this incredible book that uh, gives us this powerful witness over a period of 1,400 years. The book uh, covers that time and it, 40 different authors in times of peace and times of war and times of famine and times of plenty, written by farmers, written by prophets and preachers, by kings and by fishermen. We have all this 1,400 years of following the, this this redemptive plan of God, and there's this amazing, nothing short of miraculous consistency of message in a, a point of view and insight about God, about God's ways and about his redemptive plan and about the human existence and human state. So, uh, what an amazing book that we make through here every week on this on the Bible Live, and I'd love to hear from you if you have a thought, if you have something you'd like to share uh, about the scriptures, or maybe a question you have about the Bible, about uh, its message. You know, maybe you've struggled with certain aspects of it, and if I can help, I can give a, an insight or a thought. I've been uh, studying the scriptures, and memorizing the scriptures, and dealing with the scriptures in my own life for now for. Ever since I was eight years old, as many years ago, uh, something like uh, 58 years ago now, and of course ministering in uh, churches and and so on as a young um, evangelist, and then later 45 years now on the mission field with Campus Crusade for Christ crew, crew ministries around the world. And what a, a 35, 40 countries of the world helping young men and women come to know the Savior and helping to answer questions about this book in their lives as well. So uh, if I can give a little, uh, maybe an insider a thought, I won't guarantee everything you'll agree with, but at least it'll give you an insider a thought that maybe would set you a, give you a new kind of a perspective or a new approach to something that might have been bothering you about the Scriptures. I wouldn't mind it all hearing from you. And if I don't know, I'll just say that. You know, I don't know the answer to that question. And and uh, we'll just admit it up front because we uh, we don't know it all. We're still learning. We're still learning for sure. So give us a call if you'd like, 340-9585. We have some tickets to Splashtown that we'll be giving out over these coming weeks. And if you'd like to uh, win a couple of tickets, we've got some questions that come to the Scriptures that we would invite you to call in as well. So let me go to our phone lines right off the bat, and let's see if I can get Richard on the phone line. He's waiting to talk to us. I'd like to hear from Richard what he has to say, what he thinks about these times in which we're living, and uh, the message of the Scriptures for for these days, for these uh, difficult times, I, I, I would say at least challenging, adventurous times of our lives. Richard, how are you doing tonight? Good to talk with you. 
Pretty good, Sophie. Um, listen, I have a real simple question. I was reading the Bible the other day. Uh-huh. I read it a lot, but I read it the other day, and uh, there was a thing, a, a group of people called Nazarites. Yes. Are they still in existence in Israel? Well, now, I don't want us to get confused. There were Nazarenes. You know, uh, there that is one thing. A Nazarene was uh, people from Nazareth, uh, from that right. village and from the surrounding area. Now, th- there was... Now, this is- this is the clan, Sophie, that uh, doesn't drink beer or wine right. and doesn't shave their hair. Well, there's not actually a clan. They, a Nazrite vow. Now, Jacob might be able to answer this, and some of our uh, Jewish listeners might be able to answer it better than I. But the Nazrite vow, Rich, was a vow that any Hebrew believer, anyone could take. It was something like being a part. <laughs> I hate to put it in these terms, but it's it's something like being a part of a of a parachurch organization today. In other words, uh, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, were in charge of the spiritual care uh, and taking care of the people of Israel. And they had assigned duties with the tabernacle, the the temple, and uh, they had assigned duties in the culture. They were part of the the, uh, justice system. They were judges for uh, among the people for different legal uh, functions. And they also had a function, a health function, in that they inspected people that would have leprosy or they would have a, a, a cancerous growth and so on. So the, the, the Levitical priesthood, they had a charge and a role to, to watch out for the welfare, the well-being of Israel, for the spiritual well-being. But there were men and women who, like John the Baptist or like uh, Samuel that we've just read about in First and Second Samuel, who they were not Levites, but they wanted to serve God. They had a passion for God and wanted to serve him. And a lot, their, either their parents or they would take what is called a Nazarite vow. And they would, uh, that would, that's the ones that did not cut their hair. They did not drink alcohol. And they, you know, they abstained from alcohol. And they had a role. Uh, like I say, there was something like a parachurch. They weren't, in the, they weren't Levites. But they had a they had a, a spiritual function. Now, John the Baptist. I'm are they are they still in existence? I don't know. I really don't know that if someone okay, can still that's talk. Right. Kind of, yeah, Rich, that would be really good right. answer. Let's see if some of our Jewish uh, listeners will call in and maybe they can give us a thought about it. I said that. Yeah, because I was thinking about Israel the other day. Well, I think about them a lot. Sure. And uh, because of what they're going through, right? But uh, that really bothered me. Uh, I was hopeful that they still exist. Ah. <laughs> That's what I. Well, I don't know uh, that they don't, and you may well be right. Now, it was not. Uh, it was not John the Baptist. John the Baptist, indeed, was a Levite. He, he, in fact, both mother and father were uh, from the the Levite, the Levitical family, and he was indeed a Levite himself. So that that does not. I, I said that he had taken the Nazarite vow, but it, it was not John the Baptist. But it was right. Samuel. It was Samson. I remember the one who had the long hair and the strength of God on him. So there was that. Funny you mentioned that. I just read uh, his uh, uh, life the other day, about two days ago. (laughs) Samson's story. Yeah. Yep, it is. All right. I'm going to let you go. I don't want to take no more callers' time up. Good to hear from you, Rich. Thanks for calling in tonight. God bless. Have a great uh, celebration of of resurrection of the Messiah and and, uh, have a, a wonderful time with your family. Uh, with the people of faith uh, this week, all this week, as we mark this Im- this important moment, this uh, this triumphant moment when uh, the Messiah does indeed 
finish his entire task. He walks out the perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father from the time he's a fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he breathed his last breath and on the cross and ascends to glory. He's walking out the life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, and he finishes the task, and he earns the right to be the firstborn of the twiceborn, the firstborn of a new race of humanity, the race of the redeemed. Uh, he is the prototype. He is the firstborn, of the, 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 the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God in that sense. And so many of the titles we see for Jesus are, are titles both of deity, but also, uh, we, of course, he is uh, the Son of God, the first uh, of the redeemed. He is the first one who, who is uh, redeemed, uh, resurrected from the dead, and lives now as the, our elder brother in the faith. He is, he's the one who goes before, has set the pace and the path for us. And because of our faith in him and what he accomplished on our behalf, we too now, as Paul explains in the book of Romans, we are identified with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection, his new life. We, too, are born again uh, and dwelt of God's Spirit, inhabited by the Spirit who escorts us to glory. And uh, we have to look forward as well to that eternal life with the Savior himself. So uh, that's the redemptive plan of God. Let's talk about it a little bit. I'll come back with some questions for you from the Gospel of John, uh, this second segment. I'll ask you some questions, give you a chance to call in and answer, and uh, share some of your questions as well. Don't go away. This is The Bible Live here on AM 630 KSLR. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning process? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. If you're a CPAP user, soap and water cleaning may leave harmful bacteria, viruses, and mold that can make you sick. That alone will keep you up at night. Until now, SoClean.com is the world's first and only automated, hands-free CPAP cleaner and sanitizer. SoClean kills 99.9% of all CPAP germs without soap, water, harsh chemicals, or even equipment disassembly. And now you can try it risk-free for 30 days. Call 1-800-863-5858. SoClean changed the CPAP experience for the better. My health has improved. It's simple to use, and I'm not worried about infections. SoClean's revolutionary design makes it easy to clean your CPAP and protect you against CPAP-related illnesses. Plus, SoClean works with all popular CPAP devices to clean them in minutes. It really is that easy. Don't risk your health. Call SoClean.com now to try it risk-free for 30 days. Call 1-800-863-5858. This offer won't last. Call now. 1-800-863-5858. 800-863-5858. 
Thanks for listening. This is Michael Youssef. I'm Alistair Begg. This is Chuck Swindoll. Hi, Steve Brown of Key Life. This is John MacArthur with Grace to You. This is R.C. Sproul. This is Chuck Colson. Hello, everyone. This is James Dobson. Hi, this is Bob Lapine from Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey. You're listening to The Word in South Texas. AM 630. AM 630. AM 630. KSLR. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Those are the words we would say to you tonight as well. Be strong in the Lord. Trust the Lord. Follow the Lord. Obey the Lord. Uh, you will see him act on your behalf. He will see him bring um, as Jesus said, uh, life and abundant life. I, I hope that you will take that challenge and that invitation seriously to if you are, are a Jesus follower, a Christ follower, that you would you would just intent and commit to trusting and obeying him greater and more than ever before. Just walking with the Lord, enjoying the great adventure of walking through life. What an incredible privilege we have to walk through every day of our lives, through the humdrum routines of life and through the exciting adventures and challenges of life, through the failures, through the successes, that we get to walk through life every minute of every day, even in our sleep, for example, knowing that God is at work in us, with us, through us, by His Spirit. He is molding and shaping and transforming us, uh, our lives, so that we are prepared and ready to live in His presence forever and with the people of God in that harmony, that oneness relationship that God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have enjoyed through eternity past, we are being brought into that oneness relationship with them, the harmonious and peaceful and reconciled relationship with the eternal God of, of creation. Not that we become God, but that we come into that relationship. That one, That's what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Father, let them be one in the same way you and I are one. Isn't that an amazing thought? Think of the oneness, the perfect harmony and oneness that existed between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And, and, and he prays that we, as God's people, will be brought into that harmonious, that oneness relationship with them, with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, with the Godhead, and with each other as God's people. What an incredible, wonderful a message. What a, what a remarkable plan that God has revealed. That is his plan for humanity, to call out of the human race that eternal people for himself. Uh, and I hope that you take seriously the invitation to be a part of the people of God. If you are one who respects and loves and desires God, uh, that is the hope. That's the message that the uh, that the gospel message brings to us is that uh, it's not in vain. It's God's plan. It's invitation for you to come into a confident, secure relationship with himself, with God, to experience in him in this life, walk through life hand in hand with the creator, experiencing his presence, his power uh, it work within you and through you, and then to go into his presence for eternity as we move uh, from this life into the spiritual dimension, into that sphere uh, where Jesus went before us 
and resurrected came, resurrected, came back from the dead and told us what it's going to be like. And he's gone to prepare a place for us. We read that in John chapter 14. Well, I told you I was going to come back and give you some questions. And here I am waxing eloquent again. I'm just so excited about the message of God and the redemptive plan of God. It's so beautiful, my dear friends. It's it's so beautiful. It's so powerful that anyone who, who truly desires and wants God, wants a relationship with God, they will find it encouraging. They will find it uh, uplifting. They will find it comforting to know that God indeed uh, loves us and he seeks that relationship. He is knowable. He has come close to us and he wants you to have that relationship with him. And he's made it possible through the redemptive plan, through the redemptive work of Messiah. Well, let me give you some questions here. Let's talk about Psalm 66. What is one reason, according to Psalm 66, verse 10, what is one reason that God allows us to be tempted and tested? What is one reason? Can you give me that reason that's listed in Psalm 66, verse 10? What is one reason that God allows his people to to suffer, to be tempted, to be tested? Uh, I I don't know if you have seen uh, a movie. Uh, I had a good friend that recommended that I watch the movie called Silence, talking about how sometimes God is seemingly silent. Uh, and, and we see that sometimes look like take, for example, the gospel. I mean, not the gospel, but the book of Job in the Hebrew scriptures, that God is silent and and Job wants to hear, wants to hear, he asks and longs to hear, but there's a silence. And then, of course, even Jesus, uh, there's a silence. And when he says, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? And, and so uh, sometimes in, in this particular movie called Silence is about uh, Christian missionaries, followers of Jesus back in the 1600s that first went to the nation of Japan and how they were persecuted and rejected and how uh, Jewish, uh, how J- Japanese believers, those who uh, heard the message and responded to the message of the gospel, how they were persecuted and tortured. Uh, and even today, we saw, uh, what was it, this morning, there were two bomb explosions in Egypt in Christian churches, uh, over 2,000 men and women in one church and children uh, that, where the bomb exploded. And, and uh, even today, they're, they're, God's people are often put to the test. They're often uh, in, in trial. We often, uh, good people do often suffer diseases and, and difficulties. And we often wonder, well, why is that so? Well, look in Psalm 66, verse 10. And it tells us one of the reasons, at least, that God allows us to be tempted and tested. It also references in in the book of James and other books of the New Testament as well. But you can find the answer in Psalm 6610. Now, let me ask you this question from the um, book of Proverbs. Um, hmm, Let me see here. I'm trying to. Okay, What is the first step? To becoming a wise person uh, is, is said to be the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. There's a proverb there that the beginning of wisdom is what? What is the first step toward becoming a wise person, a person characterized by wisdom? All right, let's uh, go down into the book of Second Samuel. Let me ask you a t- couple of questions from there as we uh, complete this book. Um, let me ask you, uh, that's a little bit of a harder question. I'll, I'll try to stay with the easier ones for the moment. Second um, mm, Samuel chapter 23 contains a list of David's 30 mighty warriors. 
uh, actually 37, uh, but they are called the 30 mighty warriors. Uh, David was a tremendous leader of men. He was a military leader. He was a, a king who, who, who commanded the loyalty and the following of men. He had, he, he was a man's man in that sense. And, uh, so he had these 30 mighty warriors. They were not all uh, Jewish. They were from different groups and different people groups. But they were called, and David had a strong influence on them spiritually, pointing them toward the true and living God. And uh, who whose name is listed last in the list of David's 30 mighty warriors? A very interesting individual is mentioned last of the list. And I'll give you a hint. Uh, he's someone that David actually had killed. That's your hint. Who was the last person listed among the 30 mighty men, the mighty warriors of David? And then let me ask you this question. Um, there was a time when there were uh, David did something that caused him to have to be punished by the Lord. And he got to choose between he got to choose between uh, three harsh punishments. Uh, what is the sin that David committed that caused him to be punished? Uh, what was the sin? If you look in Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, what was the sin that David committed that caused him to be punished by the Lord? He had to choose, but he got to select his own punishment. Like a man who says, I'm going to spank you, uh, child. Go out in the in the backyard and pick out their own switch <laughs> that I'm going to use to spank you. Uh, that's what David got to choose his the own, his own punishment that God was going to use. It, it wasn't an easy choice at all. But anyway, what was the sin? What did he do wrong that caused him to be punished? And let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, Rich has called us back. I want to visit with him. And you can give us a call, too, if you know the answer to these questions. 340 9585-340-9585. And if you answer correctly, we'll be glad to rejoice with you and celebrate you and and uh, let you win a couple of tickets, uh, $25 tickets to Splashtown this summer. And we'll give you a couple of tickets. Maybe you could go yourself with your friend or someone that you care about, or maybe you can make a family trip of it. Maybe you can give them to the grandkids and let them enjoy them this summer as well. You can do what we, you'd like with them, but we'll give you two tickets to Splashtown this summer as if you're a winner here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. Now then, I quoted a verse of Scripture a while ago. I said, uh, the Word became flesh, and I was quoting from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John says that the Word is God, that the Word existed before creation, and it, the Word created Everything that was created, everything that exists. Who is he talking about? Who is this one that he's referring to as the word or the verb, the, the active uh, the active word of God? OK, who is he referring to? You can find the answer in John chapter one, verse 17 or verse 14 as well, for that matter. John 14, maybe through 17. Who was he referring to when he talked about the word? Um, now, we, we've always said that Matthew celebrates Jesus and presents Jesus to us as the uh, uh, as the Messiah, as the king of Israel. Uh, Mark talks about uh, Jesus as the uh, servant role, Jesus, the servant. Uh, Luke talks about Jesus, uh, son of man. He emphasizes his manhood. What does the gospel of John 
present the Messiah as. In other words, the Gospel of John is the most theological, I would say, of the four Gospels. Uh, what does, what, how is the Messiah portrayed principally in the Gospel of John? All right. So if you know the answer to any of these questions, give us a call, 340-9585. I'm going to go back and uh, visit once more with Rich. I think he might have gotten an answer or found something for us he wants to share uh, with us. And by the way, Rich had mentioned earlier an important question about, okay, not Rich, it's going to be Ruth. Hi, Ruth, I'm glad to be with you. Rich did answer Hi, a que- ask us a question about, is there a Nazarite vow presently? I Googled the question uh, over the break there, and uh, the answer there seemed to be that no, that the Nazarite vow is not now actively uh, used, uh, even in the Jewish community. I'm not sure of that. Maybe Ruth can help us out with it. I'm not sure. But uh, if you'd like to help us with that question, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. I think that's a Jacob question. I think so, too, really. <laughs> well, we've got I wouldn't have a clue. Help us with it, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, okay. But anyway, what's on your mind, Ruth? Glad to hear from you. Well, let's see. I've gotten so confused now. The one I called on was, which one did I call on, Lee? <laughs> I know the last one is um, Jesus is in John 1. Okay, the word is, indeed, it's Jesus. very clearly talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're talking about a human being, of course, in, in, in verse yeah. 17, the same thing. Jesus, yeah. Messiah. Good deal. Well, now the one I called. You're going to make Lee take you to Splashtown or what? I think um, I might have my grandson and his dad go. There you go. Good deal. Yeah. Good. I don't think I'm flexible enough to go anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we might break, right? Sure was fun, though. It sure was fun. Mean. Yes, I could break. Well, tell us what's... Uh, I'm sure you've got some other... The one thoughts. I called for was uh, the beginning of wisdom was uh-huh. the fear of the Lord. That's what I meant to answer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of... the beginning of, of wisdom. Uh-huh. Or no, yeah. That, that, that respect... That's why I said that if you're a person who fears God, you know, maybe your concept of God isn't clear yet. You don't really have it well defined uh, like the God of the scriptures and so on. But your heart is tender and open toward God. You want to know the creator. You believe there is uh, a first cause. You believe there is a creator, a God who reigns in the affairs of men and nations, as Ben Franklin said. Uh, and you believe that and you long for him and want to know God and want to have peace with God. Uh, that It begins with that fear, that respect, that reverence for God. And if you have that, uh, that can be the first step toward wisdom, toward coming to know him and, and uh, experience him in our lives. I, uh, I, I tell you, Ruth, I, I have to talk with you a little bit about this because I'd love to hear you and Lee's thought of this, that the redemptive plan of God is just so magnificent. I marvel at it. The older I get, uh, I marvel at just how beautiful the plan of God has been. And through the ages and through the centuries and as the gospel, as God has called men and women to himself from all the people, groups, and nations of the world. Just think that David wanted to see this day when all the nations, and and here we get to live in this time when uh, uh, people all over the globe to, uh, this week we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Messiah and, and the, uh, the followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I wonder, as you guys contemplate Easter and the Resurrection Sunday this year, what what kind of uh, what is your emphasis? What is the kind of the thing that has jumped out that's going to that seems to be the most exciting aspect this year for you? I, I would go ahead. Why don't you answer that, Lee? Go ahead and answer. Uh, Take your headset off and ask it. Brother, I think one of the things is is that was brought out by our pastor, and I was very impressed with it. And it just the fact that Jesus Christ came to 
take care of our eternal needs. Yes. You know, a lot of times we don't get those uh, temporal needs. You know, I think of dear, blessed Johnny Erickson. You know, God has never healed her of her paralysis and quadriplegic, but he has given her a tremendous ministry, and he has resolved where she's going when she dies. And that's what he has done for us. He took care of the most immediate need we have, and that is reconciliation with God and healing. An eternal life. In our relationship to him. Eternal life. Yeah, the the eternal trumps the temporal every time. And and frankly, uh, that is one of the great that is one of the great stress points, that one of the great points of tension and friction in, 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 for us is that we have to walk and live by faith in this life. And in, and in this life, in this world where good and evil coexist, it isn't like glory. It isn't like heaven where there will be no sin. We'll be totally delivered from the presence of sin. In this world, we live, uh, you know, a, a bullet doesn't turn to a marshmallow just because it's heading toward a seven-year-old innocent child. Uh, you know, bombs explode and, and innocent children and good people often suffer. And that's one of the great mysteries of this time. But what if we remember Jesus himself said, Lee, I think kind of backing up what you're saying, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> you know, are you the king of Israel? My kingdom is I've come to to fulfill the, the kingdom of God and calling out a pe- an eternal people for himself. And that is that's something right. we have to come to grips with that uh, as we live in this world. Uh, even like our Savior himself, well, we, we may and we, we do. He said, all who in this world, we will suffer tribulation. Well, there will be a tension, a stress in our lives because we are not going to be comfortable. We're not made for this world. We're made for eternity. I, I right. appreciate your thought. That's an important point that, that we have to recall this, this uh, Resurrection Sunday, that this right. is not eternity. <laughs> I, uh, I'll give you a quick illustration of where God did meet uh, temporal need. My dad was in the Navy during World War II, and he was on a ship called a landing ship tank, an LST, and they were beached, and the bow doors were open, and the stern anchors were out. And a kamikaze. What uh, stern anchors? What's you got to tell us what that is? Oh, okay. Uh, a, a landing ship tank is a ship that has flat bottom, and you open the bow doors, and you can fill it with with uh, trucks and tanks and anything of that nature. Are those and the, it, the ships that, that that we see, like on Normandy, where you see men yes, coming out of yes, the, exa- the landing? Yes, okay. exactly. All right. um, so he was beached, and the, and the anchors uh, in, in the part of the ship that was in the water were out. So it's something that they couldn't move fast. Oh, my so one of the tactics of the Japanese kamikazes at that time, these were suicide pilots. Yes. And they would come out of the sun. The any, any aircraft gunners could not see. And they were this, the plane was headed right to the stern of the ship. And uh, what happened was, you remember the story in the Bible where the hand came out and told... The, the, I think it was the Babylonian yeah. king. He was fooling around with the with the gold cups from the tabernacle. Yeah, tickle, tickle. Um, um, right, many, many tickle, tickle. He said, hard, "You're hard, you're hard, weighed hard, in the yeah. balance, and you're found wanting. And tonight you're going to die because at the same time the enemy was coming in under the city. They dammed the river up. Exactly. Well, a hand came out of the cloud, literally tipped the wing of that kamikaze plane, it healed over and exploded in the water just short of the ship. 
Oh, thank you, Lord. And, <laughs> thank yeah, you. amen. And my you know, dad God said, does well, intervene. He does stay that's in right. time and space. And uh, the, the angelic beings, we see it in the scriptures. Uh, my wife, Lee, had an experience early in our, our ministry and our lives that she just believes to this day that God sent angels to save her from a blizzard that she had driven off into a drifted off into a blizzard, a blinding blizzard on the way to Albuquerque from Amarillo, Texas. And, uh, and that two men came and picked up her car, literally picked it up and turned it around and got her back on the road. I, I, I and frankly, my wife is not given to exaggerations. And I, yeah. I uh, her mother was in Amarillo praying. I was in Albuquerque praying for her. She got caught in the, caught in this blizzard. So, you know, and there are many stories of God's stepping in, and we see God's healing, and I, I don't doubt that at all. But no. as you said, uh, the, though, that the, the the norm of our lives is that uh, the good people often suffer, and that that we do live in a world where we uh, we have to trust uh, and live by faith in, in that uh, in that the purpose of God is not this world. Just as Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, our final resting place, our home. Is not this world, and we have to realize that it's an important, it's an important truth that we need to come to grips with as believers, so that we yeah. live with eternity in mind, eternity, you know, in the light of eternity, not just for the temporal, for this life. So, it's, it's well, two other quick comments, if I can. Sure, sure. Um, I was about eight years old. I was at church camp, Royal Ambassadors. Mm-hmm. I had not yet accepted Christ. Mm-hmm. There was a young lad, contemporary peer, swinging a Western buckled belt in the cabin, he hit my uh, right above my eye and sliced it open. Hmm. Why did that buckle hit me an inch above my eye instead of my eye? In your eye itself, yeah. That's right. God protected me. And, And then the other thing is there are a lot of us who have been in the military that are listening to us, and I know you minister wonderfully to the military, and I thank you, that have PTSD of some form. Uh-huh. And, and, and also people that are in accidents and, you know, things of that nature, bombings. And that sometimes lingers. You know, we'd love that to go away. Yes. But there's a, there's a, and I think one of your questions was the sanctifying process of God allowing us, mm-hmm. like he did St. Paul. He never cured St. Paul. He asked God three times. And God said, my That's enough. Is sufficient. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I I just hope that that helps encourage. Uh, oh, I'm sure that, it does, uh, Lee. Uh, you did indeed answer that question from Psalm 66. What is one reason that God allows us to be tempted and tested and and, and sometimes to even suffer in this world? And the answer to that is to, to purify us. We are like precious silver silver to the Lord, and He is purifying us to get out the the. Uh, the, the 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 dross, what is called the dross, or the the right. soil and, and impurity, the slag. Uh, yeah, to impurify our lives, to cause us to resound and to shine more brightly for His glory and for our own fulfillment and joy. Uh, that is one. Yeah. And so you really you answered that from Psalm sixty six as well. Of course, that that truth is mentioned in, in James and Peter, uh, all through the New Testament as well. The, one of the purposes of suffering is to to uh, to do the work of, tra- of transformation of our lives, to purify us as God's people. Lee, so yeah. thank you so much. Uh, you and Ruth, it's always good to hear from you. And uh, let me I'll get some addresses from you. I think probably have them somewhere anyway, but if you don't mind giving the information to John, I'd love to send you those tickets to Splashtown, and maybe the grandkids could enjoy it, all right? Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, and God bless you. It'll be a delight. Uh, let me see if I can get you over there. 
and John will take the information from uh, Ruth and Lee, and they will have a couple of tickets to Splashtown their grandkids can enjoy. You can give us a call as well, 340-9585. I'd love to hear your answer to any of these questions that we put out on the air tonight. Uh, I'll go through those in just a moment. Or any thought or uh, question that you might have about the Scriptures, about God, about the redemptive plan of God. Uh, it's just so astounding. And and I, w- I would love to hear from some who m- perhaps you've been struggling with it. Perhaps you're one who you've not yet decided. Like Lee said, you know, I was eight years old. I, I wouldn't hadn't yet made up my mind to follow the Lord or not. You know, I, I was considering it. I was in the valley of decision, as the, the Bible talks about it in, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Maybe you're there in the valley of decision, and there's something about uh, Jesus that you, you wonder about. You, you, uh, you know, he, he claims to be that Messiah, that Redeemer. And he, he doesn't claim to be on pure philosophical terms. He, he gives evidence. He talks about uh, evidence for, his, for who he was. And, of course, the apostles, those who followed him in the first century, uh, primarily and principally uh, in the beginning from the Jewish nation themselves, um, they didn't talk about some kind of a philosophical redemptive plan, some kind of a philosophical salvation. They pointed to facts. They, they pointed to real people and real events and real occurrences uh, that happened and, and that they could point to and said, look, you, some of you were alive. You saw these things. You know that, they, that he did these things. And, and so uh, they did not appeal to, to just simple uh, uh, philosophical ideas and thoughts. And they didn't go into some far-off country to start proclaiming. They started proclaiming that message right there in the heart of Israel, right there in Jerusalem itself, where only a few days before, uh, people, many people had witnessed uh, this Jesus of Nazareth being killed, uh, hung on a cross and killed, and, and knew about this. They witnessed it. And he said, you know, this this didn't happen in some far off land. It was right here, 15 minute walk from the downtown Jerusalem. You could get to his tomb. And they said that this he has risen. He is alive. Uh, and so they didn't they didn't talk about kind of general philosophical ideas or kind of a mystical idea. They said they talked about real people, a real body, a real tomb that was opened and, and uh, appearances of a real Savior, the, the Messiah who had risen from the grave. So uh, it's it's an important thing we're talking about, even as John is very theological uh, in talking about uh, Jesus as the eternal Son of God who takes on flesh, who becomes incarnate, and he does it with a purpose to walk out the perfect life of faith and trust and obedience as a man. You know, he wasn't Superman. He wasn't like Clark Kent who kind of walked around and, you know, Clark Kent walks around and, he knows he can't be hurt. He knows he, that uh, there's no real danger to him. You know, he's kind of play acting as Clark Kent because he really knows there's no real danger. Well, that that isn't Jesus' situation. Jesus is a real man. As a real child, he has to make a decision. He hears from his mother and his father and, and, and from the scriptures and synagogue. He hears about these predictions about the Messiah, his lineage, his uh, being born in Bethlehem his, and, and raised in Nazareth and coming out of Egypt. He hears about all of this, and he begins to recognize by faith. He says, I am. I am indeed, uh, according to my mother and father and, the, and the, my birth and the, the shepherds and the star and, and all of these predictions, these things that were predicted. And he, by faith, steps into the world. He receives it and, and commits himself to walking it through, trusting God to lead him and guide him. And he grows in favor and grace and knowledge of the Lord. 
in favor with God and men, and he walks it out and, and by faith. He doesn't have every answer. He doesn't know everything. But by faith, he trusts, and he grows and grows to where he knows and, uh, with certainty, with assurance, who he is and what God's plan is for him. 340-9585. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back thanking you, as always, for joining us for The Bible Live broadcast on these Sunday evenings as we think about the Bible, we think about these scriptures. Maybe, uh, you know, the Bible is like an onion. You just peel it. And, and I mean, honestly, you know, obviously when I was six, seven, eight years of age, and I, I love the scriptures, I love the Bible, I used to memorize really hundreds, thousands of scriptures that I memorized in a formal Bible memory program uh, for 10 years uh, from age uh, from age 7 to 18. Um, loved the scriptures. And yet, of course, I was, I was an 8, 9, 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy. I had that understanding, that level of understanding. And yet, as I go back over the scriptures now, you get deeper and deeper like an onion. You just keep peeling off and you get that deeper. Under- it doesn't mean necessarily deeper, better. I mean, the simplicity of the gospel is so beautiful, uh, and some of the simplest, most direct understandings of Scripture is just with the purity of love and devotion to God uh, sometimes can be, uh, oh, just so beautiful and more profound even than a deep theological response, you know, just a simple belief and faith and trust in the Lord uh, is so beautiful. I I think that's one reason uh, when we talk about the redemptive plan of God, we often wonder is, why is it about faith? And what Lee was talking about uh, just on the phones earlier, we were talking about the idea that uh, God is calling out a people for himself uh, from around planet Earth. There, There is uh, plenty of evidence that God is there. Uh, creation, uh, the, the, the beautiful stars and the galaxies and the sun, the moon, the seasons, the breeze, the ocean, the power of the ocean from from the. Uh, big picture of the world and the galaxy and the universe down to the, 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 the tiny little cells and the secrets of that unlocking genetic realities and of our own lives and bodies and of, uh, you know, the, 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 the nature around us, whether it's a microcosm or the megacosm, the, it, it's all points to a, a, a creator, a designer without a doubt. And, and a, now we're getting over this foolishness of, uh, of, uh, materialistic atheism and this whole idea of of um you know this world coming to about by chance totally just by chance and and of course what what they appeal to there is they they have to have billions and billions of years because they, they know that it just can't happen and so they the billions of years and they talk about trillions and millions of years that's their way of that's the way they try to justify the idea that well it could happen if you have a long enough time and and so, but, but I think we're coming to see the fallacy of that, uh, n- not only just in it, in itself, it implodes and explodes upon itself, is that uh, it breaks every law of nature, every law of science that we see is broken through that view. And, and of course, it is with the creator as well, but, there, <laughs> but there's evidence. There is the order. There is the design to to nature and so beautiful. So we see creation around us. We see within ourselves. We see this uh, that we as human beings have 
we have consciousness, awareness of ourselves, and and we we can separate ourselves from the, our surroundings, and we can we can objectify ourselves and and respond to our environment uh, objectively. We can decide. We see a, a a break in the road; it takes off on two or three different paths, and we go, hmm. If I go down that path, this happens. If I go down this path, this might happen. So we can we can objectify ourselves and and, and kind of step uh, beside ourselves and and. and and uh, make decisions, objective decisions about what we will believe, what we will think, what we will do. Uh, we have that incredible gift of of will and and, and uh, decision making that's part of our existence. That, and of course, that gives rise to all kinds of things: the consideration of eternity, the consideration of immortality. Uh, if a man if a man dies, shall he live again? Even in the oldest book of the Bible, Job asked that question. And so we have it gives us the consideration of the spiritual dimension. Oh, it gives us a, the a consideration of so many abstract values and abstract um, uh, virtues that that really, apart from a creator, have no real purpose. They have no real authority. We we think of goodness uh, versus evil. We think good. We, we think of generosity. We think of uh, sacrificially giving of ourselves to others. We think of being honest. We think of being um, kind and gentle. Uh, all of the, we think of beauty and art and music and uh, something is beautiful and, and and other things are vulgar and low and base uh, and 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 so we look for purpose and meaning of our lives. You know what what are we here for? Why do we exist? Not just to eat, breathe, and and, and uh, make money. It's it's there's a reason and we look for that. We desire a purpose deep within our being. Um, do we we desire to be connected to an eternal uh, aspect uh, to eternal uh, infinite point of purpose and meaning. And what better way than to come into a relationship with God, the creator himself, uh, and and to live our lives in view of eternity and, and for the cause of his kingdom and his purposes. Well, that that's part of We've got creation. We've got consciousness. And then, of course, we have human conscience. This whole idea of good and evil, this whole idea of right and wrong, where does it come from? You know, the, the, every culture in, in every part of the world has a sense of ought. In other words, there there is a there are certain behaviors, certain attitudes that are considered to be shameful, to be wrong, to be destructive, and, and, and to and demeaning to human beings. Now we don't all agree on the details of what's wrong necessarily, but every culture, every society, knows that it has the idea of a a sense of ought. There are certain uh, uh, attitudes and behaviors that we we honor. We think of them as honorable and good, and, and we award them. We train our children to be selfless and to be kind and gentle and to be uh, help others and so on. Uh, and we warn them about uh, selfishness. We warn them about cruelty and, and about the dangers of those. So we, these exist in every culture, but where does it come from? Is it just something we make up ourselves and it has no real? Or is it, or is it couched? Is it, is it the source of that uh, of goodness and, and of moral law, ethical law, is the source of that the uh, the, the God, uh, His justice, His righteousness. Is it found in His character, in His in the moral laws? Do they come to us from the Creator Himself? Well, that's that's what we find in Scripture that God has planted eternity in our heart. Uh, that's that consciousness, that conscience that we have as people, and and uh, so we have that general revelation. But still, in all. It had to take place. The redemptive plan took place in time and space. It, it, 
Uh, it, it really happened. There was a real person. There were real people that that walked out these lives, these stories that we read about in the Hebrew Scriptures. David and and and, and uh, Joseph and and Job and these men and women as they struggled with faith. And that's what the word Israel means. They they struggled with God and the concept of God and knowing God, and they won. Uh, they were victorious. They found the path to knowing God by faith and trust in His grace and His mercy, and in His redemptive plan, his provision for our lives. Uh, they looked forward to it. They didn't see it as beautifully and as completely and powerfully to, as we do today. We look back on the finished work of the Redeemer, of the Savior. It's an awesome privilege that we have. And that's why uh, I, I think the redemptive plan of God in time and space and history was rolled out. Um, it was rolled out progressively. There is only one redemptive plan. There is no other Savior. No one will be in heaven. No one will be in glory among the people of God forever that isn't there because of the work of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, that He is the only Redeemer. Who is, he is the only provision that, that the Creator, that God has given for the problem, the fundamental problem of humanity, our, our sin, our selfishness, our wickedness. And, and He's only made one definitive provision one solution to the problem of sin, and that is through Messiah, through the Savior. Now, uh, there is one redemptive plan, but that plan was rolled out and revealed to humanity progressively. We know more today, more detail, more beauty. We we have the full-blown, we, we function and operate in the full light of the gospel. Uh, Paul talks about that in the book of Hebrews. He said, in former times, long ago, God spoke in many times, in many ways, to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, in the, from the time of Messiah, all of these days are called the final days, the end times. God has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He created and sustains the universe around us. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than theirs. There is no other name given among men, Paul says, whereby we can be saved. And so anyone that's in glory, whether it's uh, Moses or whether it's Job or whether it's uh, old Hebrew scriptures or maybe it's my ancestors that roamed these uh, prairies and this land you know, five or six hundred years ago, maybe them, they who saw the sun, the moon, the stars in nature and, and uh, among them the, there were some who didn't fall down and worship the creation. They sought sincerely, genuinely for the creator. They longed for him. They wanted to know him. They tried to honor him. They, As best they could, with the light they had, the light of revelation they had, they responded in faith and longing toward God. And God then applies to them. We're told in the book of Romans, read those first couple of chapters and other places as well, we see that God applies to them the full work of redemption. They don't experience the full benefits of the gospel that we can. They may not have certainty and assurance of salvation. They might not know every detail. They might not know uh, about the wonderful plan of God with the Holy Spirit who comes to walk with us and, and to indwell our lives and to escort us to glory. They don't know some of the details and 
all, all of those things that are such a blessing to us, but they did long for God, and by faith and by the power and the work and the merits of the Messiah, I believe that God does bring them and will receive them. Of course, he is the only one who knows. He is the only judge who knows mankind enough to know what truly is in each of our hearts, uh, that longing is there or not. But uh, I, I believe that that is a principle there that we see not only in the Gospels, but all through the New Testament, and even in the Hebrew Scriptures, we have that principle that God responds to those who long for him. You will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Uh, and, and God, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, talks to about how arrogance and pride is the, the great enemy of faith, and that, and that God lifts up the lowly and the humble and the broken. Uh, we see that all through the Scriptures as well. And that's the, that's the point. And what I like about that is that in this world, we have to live and walk by faith. Every human being on planet Earth has to live by faith. We live in time and space, and we're all waiting on things. We all have to trust, and, you know, Uncle Henry's going to send that check, and, and this person's going to do this, and this person's going to do that. That's the whole idea of waiting. That's why we're we're implored to wait on the Lord, make the Lord the object of our waiting. You know, every, we don't have to be commanded to wait. Every human being on planet Earth has to wait. <laughs> that's, that's part of our human condition. But make the Lord the object of your waiting. That is the that is the secret to rising up on wings like eagles and walking and not be weary and running and not fainting in, in Isaiah chapter 40. Wait on the Lord. But we, we have to walk and live by faith in this life. Uh, we don't you know, we trust Christ. We we receive salvation, but we receive it by faith. We don't sprout wings and grow a halo. And, and uh, even the miracles that, that Lee mentioned before about the hand in the sky and the vision that someone saw the hand tip the wing and, and the, the healing, and, you know, how his eye was saved. I, too, had an accident with my eyes in, when I was a small child, ran into a seesaw in the dark and cut my eye right, right in the nose, right between my two eyes and a deep gash. And, and my, my eyesight was saved and uh, I had a couple of concussions and rodeoing. Yeah, we could all point to things that we believe God stepped in and supernaturally and sovereignly healed and brought healing to our lives and not even far away things. I think even recently uh, I've seen the hand of God in my life, but we see it by faith. You know, we see it by faith and we believe it by faith. Uh, we trust in it by faith, and, and uh, one day we'll, we'll believe and see and we'll know that it is in reality. Our faith will be rewarded and faith will be turned to sight. But for this life, we don't walk by sight. We walk, walk by faith. And, uh, and so people have sometimes have asked, why is that? Why, why didn't God just show himself? You know, I've had people tell me if God, if Jesus would just appear to me and tell me, and, and then I would believe. And, of course, there was another man. Jesus told a story about that. Uh, in the New Testament, he said there was a guy that um, said, why don't you send an angel? Send someone to tell my brothers that they don't that they don't go into condemnation, that they don't come to Hades and, and, and lose and be eternally punished, that send someone to tell them. And he said, you know, they have the prophets. They have the witness of history. They have the Messiah. Why, even if even if someone rose from the dead and went back and told them, they wouldn't believe. And And, and that's true, folks. The the key to faith. The key to knowing God is not the intellect. Now, the intellect is involved. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't have two brains as, as, as Christians, as believers. One's lost and the other's out looking for it, as some people believe. Uh, no, uh, it, we apply it. They're incredibly intelligent 
uh, people who evaluate and looked at the the evidence for who Jesus was, the evidence for the scriptures, all of these different things. And there was plenty of powerful, strong evidence, uh, convincing evidence that that the, the Bible is indeed God's word and that Jesus was indeed that Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Son of God incarnate. And there's plenty of evidence for that, for God's existence, for the creator. And and uh, but the key is not necessarily the intellect. The key is the will. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And if you don't want to believe, if you if there's some reason you don't want, maybe you you are anti-authoritarian. You don't like God. You don't like want him to have authority. You don't. Uh, maybe you're prideful and arrogant. You think the things that you did everything, and you, or maybe you just want to think that you're smarter than everyone else and, and that you're you're kind of the rebel, you're the one out there, you're the only one who knows the truth. I, I don't know what it might be, but uh, in some you you make a decision to believe and to trust in God. That's why simple, uh, simple people like myself, simple people who maybe don't have incredible intelligence, uh, even as children, uh, we can come to God because faith is neutral. Faith is, you don't need a high IQ to exercise faith. Uh, Down syndrome children and, and, and innocent children, people who have uh, uh, even mental problems and difficulties, some of the most beautiful, joyful human beings and joyful spirits because they love Jesus, they love God, and they, they admire and they want God. It, it, they have no problem. And uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons we live and function by faith. Faith is, you know, it's not a matter of IQ, it's not a matter of a certain uh, experience and so on. Uh, even someone like myself who has a very difficult past, you know, uh, born to out of wedlock to a young lady and then abandoned at birth and passed around to 16 families and so on, or someone with even a worse background, uh, others that, you know, the parents are cruel and mean and wicked and, and godless and, and uh, cruel to them as children uh, and so on, and yet are abusive in every way. But then that young man or woman can can come to know Christ and come to into that relationship with God, and they can be delivered and set free from that limiting past, from those difficulties, and they can be transformed. I've, I've seen it so many times. I've felt it and experienced it my own self. And yet some people who who've had wonderful parents and godly parents that love the Lord and, and pray for them and love them faithfully, uh, and yet arrogance and pride and stubbornness and rejection. So the, the will is the key. Uh, you know, like I said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so I just want to call on you tonight as we talk about this week, uh, this how important this week is in the life of uh, of the people of God around the world. Those who, who have uh, sought God and love him and desired him and found uh, a, a confident, secure relationship with God and uh, through uh, through knowing and understanding God's plan and what God has done through the Messiah. Uh, to to atone for our sins and to not only forgive us and cleanse us of sin, but to commit himself to transforming our lives, to giving us a new nature, a, to, to a new life. We become a new creature in Christ, a new creation, and we now become a part of the race of the redeemed. And and we, we can begin to feel and know the, transform, for, the transforming power of God in this life as he, he changes us and frees us from the power of sin and selfishness over our lives. And the joy and the excitement and the adventure of walking with our God all through. I would love to invite you into that relationship. If that if that hunger is there, if there is that thirst and that desire, maybe you're just not content with just what this world offers. 
uh, uh, to that man. Remember, uh, th- th- there's another story Jesus told about a guy who had, had everything. He had big barns and great wealth, and he said, "Thou fool, uh, you know you you've uh, <laughs> you, you've filled up your barns. You have plenty of money, but tonight your soul is going to be required of you, uh, and, and all you, you've thrown away the opportunity." What was that great uh, missionary uh, Elliot? Down, who was uh, he was martyred. In fact, he was killed by uh, uh, the Aka Indian tribe down in Latin America and South America. That he was trying to reach them and to minister to them and take to them to the good news of the gospel of God's love, and he was killed by them in their ignorance and their their fear. Uh, he was killed by them, and I, I think they found written in one of his diaries or books that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And, and that's the point we're in tonight. I want to invite you. If you're listening, maybe, uh, uh, I, I don't know, maybe you're very near to God. Maybe you're someone who's seeking, has sought, and and you're around, and you've heard the message, and you've thought about it, and you're very near. Or maybe you're very far away. Maybe you've never heard about God, about Jesus, about forgiveness, about cleansing, about how you can have a personal relationship. We're not talking about coming into a religious lifestyle and a kind of a boring, humdrum, religious, uh, straight-laced lifestyle. And, of course, that isn't what Christianity or the church is about anyway. It's about a dynamic relationship with God and relationships with each other and supporting and helping and growing in our faith. But, uh, again, I'm not emphasizing religion or changing religions or changing the label on your bottle, you know, from, from Jew to to Christian or to Muslim or the, I don't want to talk about labels on bottles. I want to talk about what's the in the bottle. I want to talk about your life and your longing for God, your longing for forgiveness, for cleansing, your longing for hope, for eternal life, your longing for purpose and meaning, direction in your life, and the fact that your life counts and that you are part, you are linked to the eternal uh, plan of God Himself, the Creator. Uh, all of these reasons, there's so many reasons that people come to faith. Maybe there's a, a fear of death. Maybe there's uh, a, a desire to be with loved ones and longed, uh, loved ones that you know have gone on to be with the Lord. And you want to be to see them and to be united with that family. There, there's so many ways and there are fo- so many lures, I <laughs> use the fishing metaphor, that, that God has to draw us, to attract us to, to himself to goodness and righteousness. Maybe you desire to be good and right, and you found that we're, we're powerless. We, Even our best intentions, we still make mistakes and hurt people and ourselves and do selfish and wrong things, and we need forgiveness. Whatever that reason is, whatever that is that causes you to want and desire uh, God and need Him, I, I want you to respond to that tonight and and to see and understand that God has provided a solution. He has given a provision uh, as Jesus himself said, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes and trusts in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly. So I just want to encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, in him as a person, as a man, as the son of God, received by faith the forgiveness and cleansing and, and walk by faith into that relationship. He says, I'm standing, I'm standing at the door, he says, and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, he says, I will come in. He doesn't say I might come in if you're lucky, if you're smart, if you're handsome, if you're pretty, if you're good enough. He didn't say I might come in. He said, I will come in. Would you not tonight let your faith 
reach out and touch his promise. Invite him. Say, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I want to know you. I want to have peace with God. I want to be forgiven and cleansed, and I want to walk with you and experience a confident, secure relationship with you in this life and on into eternity. By faith, I trust in Jesus. I ask you to come into my life, Lord Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. And what does he say? I will come in. Then let your faith reach out and touch his promise. Trust him that he will come in. You can believe him. Trust his promise that he comes into your life. If you've prayed that prayer, that he is there. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is going to be with you for the long haul. He's going to walk with you and escort you now to glory, into eternity. I I invite you to walk by faith into that wonderful, life-changing truth to begin tonight. This Easter week, this Holy Week, begin. This is a great time to start your spiritual journey with God. And and I invite you, older, young, middle-aged, married, single, divorced, whatever our background, don't let that be your limitation. Uh, we don't earn the relationship with God by making a mistake-free life. <laughs> we, none of us do. Uh, that's why he came, to forgive us and cleanse us from our error, from our selfishness, and then to strengthen us and live his life, to enable us by his power to walk and live holy lives for his glory and for our joy and our delight. So, my dear friends, I, I pray that you've made that decision to trust the Lord tonight. And if you did, if you'd ever like to get in touch with, with Soapy Dollar, you can go to SoapyDollar.com, uh, TheBibleLive.com, BibleLive.com. There's so many places. I, I, would, I hope you might go to our website and put in a little message and tell me about your decision to follow Trust Christ. I'd love to send you some materials to help you grow in the Lord. And maybe we can touch base with each other in in, uh, any way I can help you grow and mature. And, of course, so many of our congregations and our pastors and the people of God around this great city of San Antonio, they are there, too, waiting to help you and walk with you. So I hope that we can see you, therefore, in church and among the people of God and worshiping the Lord and enjoying Him together. See you next week, folks, here on The Bible Live. Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help the military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.